historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. On Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Israel shuts down, literally. Airports are closed with no incoming or outgoing flights. Public transportation ceases to operate for 25 hours. Radio and television broadcasts go silent. So what do kids do? They ride their bikes or other modern-day contraptions on the open streets. Imagine being able to ride on a five-lane highway like the Ayalon Highway in Tel Aviv. This is one time during the year you could take a selfie lying down on the highway. On Yom Kippur, 1973, like all other kids in my neighborhood, I was riding my bike on the wide open street. I was nine years old. I didn't really pay attention to the unusual commotion going on in the early hours of the afternoon. And then, around two o'clock, something happened that changed my naive childhood forever. The deafening noise was unmistakable. Screeching silence wailed nonstop. It was then that I noticed adults running out of synagogues. Mothers ran looking for their kids. They were pale-faced and... And the look of concern was very obvious. Military jeeps sped through the streets. They stopped at homes. And then you saw young and older men pile into the vehicle. I remember that they had a confused look on their face. They looked disheveled. I remember one of the neighbors in my small apartment building winked at me as if to say, don't worry, kid, it'll be okay. And then he got into the jeep. It was as if I was watching a movie or at least something completely detached from my world. One of the mothers of one of my friends appeared from behind me Short of breath, she yelled, Go home, Itai, now! It was only then it sank in. We were at war. I rushed home, finding my mother, sister, and brother placing black poster paper in the windows. Later I learned it was to conceal light from a possible airstrike. After that, we made our way down to the bomb shelter and crowded in with the remaining women and children from our building. Not one man, not one father was in the shelter. They were off to the front. Israel was taken by surprise. Attacked simultaneously on two fronts by the Egyptian and Syrian armies. The political leadership was stunned and even depressed. The highest-ranking generals of the IDF were attempting to assess the catastrophe besieged upon us. Both the political and military leadership realized that they failed in their most important task, to defend our homeland against an existential threat. On the second day of the war, panicking, Defense Minister Moshe Dayan proposed that the time has come for Israel to prepare and make a nuclear demonstration. But, although overwhelmed, unimaginably outnumbered, Operating in what seemed like chaos, the Israeli soldiers and officers stood resiliently and defended Israel with their bodies. They never gave up. For Israelis, Yom Kippur is a lot more than atonement. It is about a shocking ordeal, a trauma. Israeli society changed forever. To hear about the war firsthand, I invited a very special guest, Rami Svet. Rami was one of five children, three boys and two girls, to the house of Tzvi and Ruth Svet. All five were officers. The girls in the medical corps, and the three boys, Miki, Yair, and Rami, in the tank corps of the IDF. The three boys fought in the Yom Kippur War. Rami, welcome. Thank you for having me. Shalom, Shana Tova. Rami, my first question to you is, when the war broke out, and it was kind of surprising for Israel in general, what was your role in the army? I was a young officer lieutenant in the Army Corps and the tank corps. I was an instructor in officers course, basically caught us almost the end of the first term that I was an instructor. On that note, describe for us the chain of events once you realized the war broke out. Did you hear a siren or was that just me as a child hearing a siren? 
two days prior to the war, when things started to get tense, especially in the north, we were deployed the midsection of the country. I was with a unit which was deployed up north in the Golan Heights. On Saturday morning, we were starting to move up to the Golan Heights. And at about five minutes to two, six Syrian MiGs attacked us. It took us some time to understand what was happening. We started moving towards the border. Six Syrian MiGs, so airplanes above you, there's nothing you could do. You're basically, you know, wandering around, getting things organized. We're talking about an hour before people start talking about there might be something, maybe some shooting in the afternoon. They were told us that we are allowed to eat, although it was Yom Kippur from our rations, and caught us by surprise. So basically, none of us were organized to start mobilized. We just jumped into the tanks and started moving. And the surprise was even bigger because when you look at it, on the Golan Heights, the Syrian front that you were on, our forces were unimaginably outnumbered. We're talking 1,500 tanks, Syrian tanks, against around 177 Israeli tanks on the entire front, which is about 70 kilometer front. And yet you guys held the line, not without a heavy toll. You were injured twice. One needs to understand that deployed along the borderline were only about a third of the forces in the Golan Heights. And it took us about two and a half to three hours. During that time, only those minimum number of tanks were trying to hold the lines. And they paid a very, very high toll due to that. We were moving towards the borderline. We were just above, my unit was just above the Valley of Tears, Mount Hermonit, and all the way up to almost the Mount Hermon. The problem was that due to the number of tanks that we were in that region, we could not concentrate enough forces against the upcoming Syrian tanks. So you would see at the most four to six tanks basically fighting against them. I think that what we proved is when it comes to tank to tank fighting, we were superior. The problem is that even if you are very, very good crewmen, experienced crewmen, then you can take out three, four, five, and then you get hit. The other problem is that the terrain in the Golan Heights it's not sandy, it's lava rock. And when you get bombardment of artillery, then you get on every shrapnel of metal, you get about a hundred shrapnels of stone. And I, for instance, during the first incident, got about 30 shrapnels, all of them are stones. Continued fighting, although I received those shrapnels. And on the third day, trying to support others that were under fire and injured, I was hit, my tank was hit probably by anti-tank, an RPG or something like it. And due to that, I was hit in the face and lost sight in one of my eyes. During the time, lost sight in both eyes because of the flash and then was evacuated. When you're fighting the Golan Heights, you are able to look behind you while fighting with forces in front of you and understand that the lines are very, very thin and that the settlements are very, very near. My region, we're talking about a few hundred yards away, is the settlement of Al-Rom. So it's not something that you are talking about, you know, you have depth that you don't have to worry about it. It comes into your notion that you must be at your very best in order to stay alive, in order to support your comrades, in order to fulfill your task. And that kept us going. Your brother Yair, he was a tank company commander, fought 
in the battle you mentioned, which is one of the most historical battles called the Valley of the Tears, they were outnumbered tremendously. He was killed in the battle. You were fighting only a few hundred yards from him, I think without even knowledge of him being so close to you. When did you discover that he was killed? I knew that he's in the same region, but I wasn't aware that he's a few yards away from me. I'm talking about 500 to 400 meters when the incident occurred. I might even have seen the event not knowing that he was part of it. That evening, by mere chance, I heard my second command talk over the radio with a friend of my brother. He was trying to confirm whether my brother was killed. I overheard the um, conversation. I dismissed it as if they were talking about an alien in outer space that something happened to him. Didn't even sink in. I continued fighting for another two and a half days, knowing on one hand that he was killed, but avoiding the issue. I know for a fact that the people around me knew about it, but felt that it wasn't for them to tell me that he is no longer with us. When I was in the hospital, this young soldier was walking in between the rooms and mumbling all the time that his commander was killed and his commander was killed. And somebody asked him, what's his name? And he said, Svet. And on the looks of the people in my room, I should have known basically that this is it. I decided to leave the hospital, went up to the Golan Heights, A, to confirm and B, to get repositioned. When you left the hospital, when you were recovering from your injuries, you were determined to return to the front line and continue fighting. You were denied by the IDF. Why were you denied? The policy is that a member of the family is lost in battle. They try to avoid additional casualties. Policy is enough is enough. One is more than enough. And that was basically the concept. Because of the close relationship between the commanders of my brother and the knowledge that he was killed, they decided that I shouldn't participate in that part. And during that time, I learned that my brother, Mickey, was hospitalized in Jerusalem. He was injured as well. What I decided to do is to go up to Jerusalem and basically tell him about Yair and consult what we should do. I continued for another half a day medical treatment over there at the hospital. So while I was visiting him, I was attended as well. And we decided that we should tell the parents they deserve to know. And since he wasn't able to leave the hospital, I went down and met my mother and sisters in order to confront them with the news. Tell us how Yair was killed. Yair was a company commander. He was ordered to move from the south part of the Valley of Tears and close a gap just on the north part. The Syrians started to infiltrate through there, and even some of them were able to cross the lines. One of his tanks was hit just in front of him, and the crew abandoned damaged uh, tank. Yair left his position, drove down in order to help the people and rescue them. And while he was lifting his body above in order to support one of the guys to climb into the tank, he was hit by a direct hit from another tank, killed instantly. The guy that he was trying to save and was saved was killed a week later inside Syria. So, talking about faith. Oh, very difficult. Mickey, your 
oldest brother, fought down in the south, you said, down on the Egyptian border. He was on the front line there. How was he injured? He was a company commander as well. He was, at the time, on leave from the army in order to attend the university and get a degree. He went down to the Sinai once the war started with a reserve unit, which he was attached to. And on an assault on one of the area's mid-sector of the Suez Canal, they were hit by anti-tank missiles. He was injured from shrapnel in the back, a big, large one, lost a lot of blood. And basically, although he was injured, and one of the reasons he lost a lot of blood is that uh, most of the commanding officers were injured over there, and he was able to regroup the guys, get them out of the ambush that they were in, and was cited because of that. Uh, Yair, because of his role and his ability to support his people as well, under fire, was cited as well. So then you leave Mickey at the hospital, and you're going down south to speak to your mother and sisters. When I went down from the hospital in Jerusalem and confronted my mother and sisters with the sad news about my brother, Yair, the first thing that my mother told me is, you should go back to the front, otherwise you won't be able to look in the eyes of your friends and yourself. Well, on that note, I want to ask you something about your mother and father, because I, I read a little bit about them, and I know that they actually had met uh, sometime during World War II. Your father was fighting um, against the Nazis as a British soldier, even though he was from Israel, um, or in a unit that belonged to the British Army. And your mother was a nurse. Tell us a little bit about what their mentality was, because for a mother to say to her child after losing a child, go back to the front line, is something that's almost unheard of. And that's why I want to understand the mentality. Well, we're talking about two young boy and girl at the age of 17 that basically left everything behind in Europe, including their parents and brothers and sisters, and made their liyot to Israel just before World War II broke out. My mother came over with her younger brother, had to forge her documents in order to be allowed to travel with him. And my father came by himself as well. Both of them volunteered to the British Army here in Israel. My father joined the Special Forces British Elite Commandos, the Green Berets, and my mother, the Medical Corps. On the last week of the war in Italy, my father stepped on a mine and lost both legs. My mother met him at the hospital when she was asked as an Israeli to go over and attend an Israeli soldier that they cannot tame, and all the rest is history. In order to answer your question, I think that the spirit of coming over from Europe after uh, losing their entire families, knowing that being part of the establishment of the state of Israel, knowing that the battle has not ended and only in Israel would Jewish have safe place, gave them, I think, the notion that there is a price to be paid in order to fulfill the dream of having country. I think this is where the realization came. It's a different era. It's a different type of people. My father, when I came, drove down to the Sinai in order to tell him as well, didn't even hesitate or didn't even ask me what my plans were. I just told him I'm going after he made a career in my overall. A rip in your tank overall uniform, the traditional Jewish sign of mourning. And that was it. No second thoughts. You know, Rami, I've done a lot of research on the Yom Kippur War, and I am always astonished and always ask myself the same question. 
what won that war? We were surprised, we were overwhelmed. How do we win? I think there are two major reasons for it. Uh, the first thing is having awareness and very, very experienced officers. When I'm talking about officers, I'm talking about the field level officers, which knew exactly what needs to be done and how to do it. And we're a very, very good example to all of us, the younger soldiers and uh, younger officers. The second thing is being resilient, being able to regroup and recompose, having the notion that the job needs to be done regardless of all the reasons for not doing the job. And there were plenty of them. The ability of all those engineers and others that were able to fix and repair the tools, the ammunition, a supply of ammunition, and the ability of people, although they went through trauma, either that their vehicles were hit or was whatever they saw, which was a cause enough for people to stop fighting but we're determined to continue fighting. And that gave us a lot of, I would say, buildup of ability to fight. It is important to understand that the common Israeli soldier was a very, very experienced and well-trained soldiers. We knew how to operate our weapons. We knew how to bring the most out of it. And I think Due to that, although we were outnumbered, we were able to turn things around. Last but not least, I think knowing, or I would, I would settle for those two uh, major reasons. Okay, well, I'm going to add the third reason. And that was, and I think you were starting to say, knowing that behind you are women, children, and men that without your protection will not survive. And that Israel may not survive. And there's something else that needs to be said or asked. Your brothers, Miki and Yair, received medals, medals of distinguished service. Let me say this bluntly, because I, I heard about you, I heard a lot about you, and I heard you're a modest guy, so I'm going to say it. The three of you are heroes, and because of people like yourselves, the salt of the earth, Israel was saved. You have taken it upon yourself to continue telling the story, educating, memorializing. To do so, you helped to establish an organization in Hebrew called Amerkaz in English, the Yom Kippur War Center, the House for the Warrior. Please tell us about this organization. I think there's one thing important to say prior to that. After the war, since we lost a lot of officers and a lot of people that could rebuild the army, most of my generation continued and became influential officers. Both my sister, my brother Mickey, myself, all stayed in the army for several years. We all came to becoming colonels eventually. And I think that it started over there that we are doing something in order to maintain, I would say, the cause of having a strong army, having a strong country. It took us a long, long time, I'm talking about the veterans of the war, a long, long time to be able to talk about those times. I can tell you that I had an event and we did it in the Golan Heights after 40 years of when you fail. And 
my family looked at me in amazement, heard from me things that they've never heard before. I'm talking about my wife, my children, sisters, everybody. So I'm not comparing it to my parents' era that didn't talk about the Holocaust, but it was a traumatic event when you lose a lot of friends, when the toll is very, very high. In any event, we're now at the time that we feel that we need to talk about it, we want to talk about it, and we need to do something about it. The Yom Kippur War is the life alerting event, only second to the War of Independence. Israel is a different Israel before the war and after the war. And this is something that we feel that it cannot go by without providing our future generations with the knowledge of what happened, why it happened, and what happened to the country. And therefore, we have decided to build a center which is going to concentrate on all those things. I would say that the four pillars are A, what happened, the history, B, education, C, heritage, and the memorial of the 2,673 guys that fell during the war, and D is basically research. Just to elaborate on this, the Yom Kippur War is the most researched. Books have been written about the Yom Kippur more than any other war in Israel, over 700 books. Rami, I want to thank you for sharing your story, sharing your family story, to our listeners, I also want to say that you can learn about the Yom Kippur War Center that Rami just spoke about, the House of the Warriors, by logging into their website, which is kippur-center.org. I'll spell it out, k-i-p-p-u-r-center.org. And there's an English icon on the top left, so just click on that. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm looking forward for everybody to become part of an important thing that we're doing. Thank you. To end, I just want to say that there are only a couple times a year in which one can look into the hearts and minds of Israelis and Israeli society. Yom Kippur is obviously one of them, and I hope we were able to relay the mood and the feeling of Yom Kippur in Israel. Mm-hmm.